And what's going on, everyone? Welcome into the program. It is episode 289 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can feel free to give us a rating and a review in both of those places. Um, you can also follow the uh, social pages on Facebook and Twitter slash SX uh, for the latest updates. Good to be back with you folks this week. As you may have noticed from the social pages, uh, Guest Friday returning this week, focus on college football, which I'm excited for go through with a new guest, go through some of the upcoming bowl matchups, definitely talk about the college football playoff, pretty controversial decision uh, over the weekend in terms of the teams that were selected. So definitely all the sort of talk for that um, will happen later this week on Friday. Really looking forward to that. Um, so I think today, uh, definitely, you know, plenty of talk about the local teams. I think three teams uh, in particular, maybe a little bit of Red Sox, a little bit of Revolution. Um, but I think, you know, there's a particular team that I think a lot of people are expecting me to start with today. Um, but I think I'm going to start with a different team today, uh, just kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and that team that we're going to start with uh, is the Celtics. Uh, so the Celtics with uh, last night a loss in the in-season tournament, so they were eliminated uh, in this quarterfinal matchup with the Pacers last night, 122-112. to So I think... It kind of an interesting week for the Celtics. Uh, if we go back to Tuesday night with Chicago, you know, Celtics going into that game, needing to win by a certain margin, needing the Nets to win by a certain margin, um, and the Celtics were able to get that. So, you know, thanks to that, they were able to, you know, get a berth in the in-season tournament in the knockout round against the Pacers, lose last night. Um, I think a pretty frustrating game, if I'm going to be honest. You know, I think that it was a well-played basketball game between two teams that were competing really hard. And I think in the overarching theme, I think, of the in-season tournament, I think that it's been a success in the sense that the players really are, you know, trying hard and really want to win this. And I think it was very obvious last night, if you saw, you know, if you watched any of that game, in Indiana last night, you saw how excited the crowd was getting, how excited the, you know, Pacers and Celtics benches were getting after every basket. And it was like, okay, this feels like a playoff game. Um, and so I think the NBA's vision for the in-season tournament is exactly what they wanted it to be. You know, a game where the stakes are raised more than they would be in a regular season game in the beginning of December. Um, I think that there are some things that I think need to be smoothed out because I think, you know, the, the, the scoring mark or the, the scoring differential thing, I think is something that's going to need to get used to, or teams are going to have to get used to, you know, in terms of understanding that, okay, teams are going to try to approach games differently down the stretch, particularly if they are blowouts. And I think, you know, it's, I think, understandable that teams and players got rubbed the wrong way with the way that, you know, teams were trying to, you know, quote-unquote run up the score. But it's like, to me, I don't consider it running up the score because I think it's part of the differential you need to, like advance and so it's like if anything it makes the games more competitive I understand the thought process of you know the running up the score and you know fouling guys intentionally and things like that but it's just like I think it's something that players are just going to have to get used to um, because I think in general the NBA's goal with the in-season tournament was to make the games more competitive and they have been and they have been, like, guys are excited to play these games. You know, I think that it's a good thing for the game. 
sure there I think are some things that will be worked out with time you know players will get more used to this in the next few years it's not going to be you know I think it's understandable for some guys to have trepidation with the way it shook out but I think overall it's it's a great product and you saw a great basketball game last night you know I think looking at this game from a Celtics perspective may not be you know a game that you're going to be remembering for the rest of the season for you know a good reason you know the Celtics turned the ball over 17 times um, in this game and I think personally big part of why they lost this game three-point shooting sure you know a lot of guys were were off you know they shot 29 percent as a team but it's just the high turnovers just can't happen um and it was interesting because you know looking at this box score Derek White led the team five turnovers but everyone so he had five Jalen Brown had three um you know I think Tatum having turnovers is going to happen. You know, two really isn't that bad. But, you know, Derek White with five turnovers, that's not what you expect from him. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, I think high turnover game. High turnover games are never good for this team. You know, that really seems like it's the one thing that kind of can bring them down. Um, you know, I thought at times Tatum was very good and very you know, aggressive, taking it to the basket, hunting some of those one-on-one matchups. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's just one of these games that I think three-point shots just aren't falling. And I think for the most part, most games, the Celtics get good looks. Um, and I think that, yeah, sure, there's a thought of, okay, maybe they're shooting too many, but it's like, it's a big part of their offense. And, you know, they do generally get good looks Um, and I think sure are they capable of scoring on the interior absolutely but I think especially without Porzingis the team kind of looks a little bit different and I think a little bit more reliant on the three-point shooting Um, and it's not like Porzingis doesn't shoot threes but it's just he gives such an added element on the interior that you can go into a post-up and to be perfectly honest, watching this game last night, if Porzingis plays, the Celtics blow out the Pacers. I don't even think this game is close. Um, you know, I think the Celtics at times didn't do the best job at attacking the the rim, um, and I think maybe fell into the trap of shooting too many threes. But I just felt like, you know, sure, Miles Turner, great shot blocker, but other than that, you know, the Celtics really you know, should have tried to take advantage of that with he really being the only big that was a deterrent at the rim last night. So, you know, they'll they'll live and learn. But I think there's something I was thinking about last night that this may have actually been a silver lining uh, for this team. Because I think, you know, winning in this tournament last night means that you go to Vegas you know, the Celtics would have gone to Vegas, would have been there from, you know, today or whenever they would get there today if they won last night until, you know, Thursday at least, you know, and then if they win that game, they play in the tournament championship on Saturday. And then would you look at that? They have to come back to Boston three days later to play a game. You know, then they have a couple home games but then they got to go back out on the West Coast. And I think there's something to be said for cutting down the amount of travel, the amount of long travel that they're doing. And so I think it may have actually been for the best that they lost that game. And I know that we all want to see them win every game they play. You know, we really wanted to see them win that in-season tournament. But I think it may actually be kind of a blessing that, they're not having to do this cross-country travel, you know, twice in the span of two weeks. Because it's like you go from Boston to Indiana to Vegas, back to Boston, and then back out to California. And it's just like that amount of travel, I think, could take a toll on this team. So I think with the loss in the in-season tournament yesterday, uh, the Celtics will play the loser of the Knicks and the Bucks tonight. 
as they play in their quarterfinal game um, in the knockout round. So Celtics will have a game Friday at the Garden against either the Bucks or the Knicks. So either way, it's going to be a, a good opponent for the Celtics um, in their next game, you know, whether they advanced in the um, in-season tournament or not. So I think for this team, it's, you know, trying to maintain the good habits of driving to the basket and having a good, you know, complement of driving to the basket, you know, and making threes. And I think for the most part this season, they've done a good job of balancing the two. You know, I think it's difficult when someone like Porzingis is out of the lineup, but I thought, you know, as we said last week, I thought the bounce back effort against the Hawks was really good. You know, I thought against the Bulls, they played well. Um, you know, the Sixers game was a little bit weird. Um, and I honestly thought that the uh, Celtics kind of played down to a shorthanded Sixers team. You know, were able to win, but it was kind of a weird game. But I think credit to them for being able to, you know, withstand Jason's ejection. Um, and be able to kind of steady themselves and be able to close it out. And I know that, yeah, ugly win, but it's like 82 games, you're going to have ugly wins like that. So I thought it was a significant win, but, you know, I think last night it just is, you're playing a Pacers team that can light it up on the scoreboard. Um, And you clearly saw that with Halliburton making some ridiculous shots. You know, he's one of those guys in the league that you forget about how good he is, you know, unless you're a person that's watching the Pacers every every week, you know, you don't really understand how good he is, um, and it's just kind of wild that he was, you know, in Sacramento, then just got moved, and is now, I think, an all-star player, so, you know, he was really impressive, um, but I think clearly for the Celtics, uh, learning experience, I think, just in, you know, turnovers and you know, I think trying to attack the basket more than they did last night. So uh, we'll see who the opponent is Friday. Um, and then the Celtics obviously are back. Uh, well, they'll be back in Boston regardless um, of the result between the Bucks and the Knicks. Um, and so it'll be great. The Celtics will get uh, five in a row at home. They'll have a couple of two... Of like, not well, not a home and home because they're so yeah. It's kind of a weird schedule because they play two against Cleveland. Both of them are at home. Both of them are at home, and then they have the same thing against Orlando. Um, and then they'll go back. Then they'll go out on the West Coast as they uh, will play some California teams in and around the Christmas uh, holiday. So I think still waiting on Porzingis to return. I think that there was some optimism that um, if the Celtics had advanced last night, that possibly he could have been available later in the week. So we'll see. Um, You know, I think Friday's still a long way off, so maybe he is available for Friday's game. And then if not, you know, I think in all likelihood will be available next week. So Celtics hopefully can get a little bit more healthy. Uh, There were a couple guys that got banged up a little bit last night. Uh, White and uh, and Holiday, I think, from what I noticed, you know, I hadn't heard anything after the game, but I just noticed that they were uh, banged up a little bit. So, you know, I think one last little note about the Celtics is kind of the willingness of Joe Mazzulla to go deeper into his bench. Um, you've seen Kata play in the last couple of games, great energy that he has, um, and I think really is, you know, pushing for maybe some third big man minutes. Um, and so I was, I've been really impressed with him. You know, Banton has gotten into a couple more games. Um, and so I think, you know, just getting a look at some of these guys off the bench is really important, especially this time of year when, you know, guys can go out with injuries and you can be shorthanded. And I think giving guys an opportunity is, Uh, really important this time of year. So I think it's going to do it for the Celtics. You know, 15-5, and really good so far through 20 games. You know, Tatum, I think, just announced that he won Player of the Month for October. 
in November. Um, it's a really good start for him. I think that it should be one of the favorites for MVP, but I think, you know, see how the rest of the, rest of the uh, next month or so goes. Um, but yeah, Celtics are going to be uh, very busy over the next couple of weeks with some home games, a West Coast road trip, um, then a bunch of games before the new year. So I think it's going to do it for the Celtics. And we will move on. Talk about the Bruins who like, you know, the Celtics, I think, went through a tough loss or went through a couple tough losses. Um, but were able to come out, I think, a lot stronger. And um, I think when we last spoke, uh, they were kind of talking about the Columbus game that the Bruins played last Monday. And I think the hope was, okay, they can kind of try to use this as a game to possibly get right. Um, and unfortunately, it was the opposite. The Bruins uh, really did not play well at all in this game. And I think really was a pretty disappointing game. I think especially against a team that, you know, is not very good and I think you should beat easily. But, you know, I think for this team and the way that they have, like, bulldozed through the regular season in the first year plus of Jim Montgomery's leadership, it might be good for this team to, you know, go through some stretches where they lose. Um, because it's like you look at last year, they lost 17 games. You know, if you count regulation and overtime losses, they lost 17 games, which in an 82-game season, that's not enough. And I think, you know, I don't want, to, want it to sound like, oh, they need to lose games because obviously when you go out and compete, you the goal is to win games, and that's ultimately what you want to do. But I also think that, you know, facing some kind of adversity, you know, can be good for team bonding. I think especially if you get into a situation like you did in the playoffs last year where you lose some games in a row and you kind of lose your confidence. And, you know, it was kind of a, you know, Bruins lost their confidence after that game five um, and then played completely out of character in game six and seven and then went home. And, you know, I think going through some losses like this does a lot for team character that you see what you're made of. And I think the Bruins responded and they responded really strongly. And I think that that was the great thing to see when, you know, they come back, they came back home against a, a weak San Jose team, but they were able to kind of play to their standard and, you know, play the way that's expected. And I think that, it was kind of the get-right game that the Bruins were looking for in Columbus last week um, and got it last Thursday. And I think, you know, getting the results from some of your top guys was huge. You know, getting DeBrusque on the scoreboard, getting, you know, Zaka on the board. I think that while most of the offensive accolades have gone to Martian and Posture, I think Zaka's been... What are your, one of your most consistent forwards this year. And so it was great to see him get on the scoreboard. And then the Bruins, you know, followed it up with a pretty, I think, gritty effort in Toronto on Saturday with the win. Um, you know, I think me personally, I wasn't wild about giving up a lead again in the third period uh, with the goalie pole. The Bruins have allowed a bunch of those goals to happen this year so you know that wasn't great but I think their ability to be resilient in this game was huge you know they were able to take a 2-0 lead take a 3-2 lead withstand Toronto coming back both times and then Marchand finds the back of the net in overtime and so I think for this team it's going through adversity but then how do you respond? You know, how do you respond to a three-game losing streak? How do you respond to losses in four out of five? Um, and I think you saw what this team is made of. 
with a get-right win against the Sharks, a you know dramatic win against Toronto, and then another come from behind, and then a come from behind win um, on Sunday, where the Bruins really, for the most part, looked out of sorts and looked, you know, like they were going back to the old ways before before a couple of these wins, and the captain picked them up and. Um, you know, and I say this often with this team and with this team's leadership culture for the last number of years, that I think we're really lucky. As Bruins fans, we're really lucky to be able to see guys like, you know, Bergeron, like Krejci, like Rask, like Chara, like Marshan, that we get to see these guys go to work and be, you know, leaders of men and be guys that you know that no matter what they're going to put in their all, you know, they are going to do everything it takes to win, do everything it takes to help their team and point the team in the right direction. And I think, you know, Brad Martian is a guy that I think over the last week or so before these last two games really had been struggling, really hadn't been doing much in the scoring department. And then here he comes with the overtime winner and then the natural hat trick on Sunday. And it's just, you know, this is a guy that you just think about how unbelievable his career trajectory has been, you know, where he started, where he came from. And, you know, now it's like you're going to look back in 20 years and think of him as one of the greatest players in franchise history. And it's not just the accolades. It's not just the points, the goals, the assists, the shorthanded goals, all those things. But it's just the way that he plays the game and really has a way of bringing the team together. And it just, it's, just, it's just awesome to see that leadership and see a guy that I think for so long has been surrounded by so many of those leaders that I mentioned, but now it's his turn. Now it's his turn to lead these guys. And I think that it's rubbing off on someone like Charlie McAvoy, who I think in the near future will be the leader of this team and will be the captain. And I think Martian's a guy just great at setting the example. And, you know, I think just a guy that gives it his, his all and just very lucky to be able to watch this guy go to work and, you know, lead this Bruins team. Um, so I think great effort by him in the last two games. Bruins have won three in a row. Um, they will host Buffalo on Thursday. And then they will have a matinee Saturday afternoon against Arizona. And then they'll be off for a couple days until they play next Wednesday against New Jersey. So I think a, a trio of, I think, get-right games for this team. We'll see if they can keep it going um, with some home games against some lesser opponents. I think one of the other things I wanted to talk about and you know something that I've mentioned throughout the season is uh, the Bruins' decision to you know sign Danton Heinen and keep him on this roster and play him in in any situation. And he's been playing great hockey. You know, has eight points in 16 games, three goals, five assists, and has really been excellent wherever the Bruins have put him. And it's just kind of unbelievable that the Bruins have been able to, um, you know, find a guy like Heinen and sign a guy like James Van Riemsdyk and get really good production out of both of these guys. I think... Guys that I think when training camp started, you were like, okay, you know, don't really know what to expect. They're probably lucky to get anything, but it's like Van Riemsdyk's been really, really solid. Um, and Heinen, I think, is really helping improve some of their, I think, forward groups that I think, or forward lines that I think, not obviously not scoring as many goals as they were last year, but I think... Having someone like Heinen just, he's just such a, he's such a good player that he can fit in 
with any type of players, with any type of game. You know, if you want him to play with Brad Marchand, he can do that. You want him to play with Patra, the young guy, he can do that. You want him to play with Charlie Coyle. He's played with Charlie Coyle before, and I think, you know, really, it's it's just unbelievable that this is a guy that was without a team going into training camps this year, and it's just, I kind of can't believe it, and it's kind of like the Bruins have fallen into this guy who they know and they know very well, and it's almost like the Bruins maybe know the best you know, the best way to get the most out of him. Because I think when he's gone to, you know, other places, whether it's Anaheim or Pittsburgh, you know, a couple of decent seasons. But I think the Bruins really know how to best utilize him. And I think the best way to utilize him is throwing him in with any different any different group of guys on any forward line. And I think it is an added bonus that, you know, Montgomery has coached him. And so... He knows his game really, really well and knows that he can fit with just about anyone. So really impressed with Heinen. You know, I think Coyle's been really solid. Um, I think has really quietly stepped into a leadership role, kind of like I mentioned with McAvoy, that I think Charlie's a guy who's a lead-by-example type guy, and he is showing out. You know, he has 20 points in 24 games, I think really is performing well. You know, I think that the concern going into the year was, okay, how do you replace those top two centers? And you look at Zaka and Coyle, they're kind of close to point per game, and that's exactly what you want. So, you know, I think not much to say about David Pasternak. He's ridiculous, and I think if he's playing at this level, continues to, he should get some heart trophy votes for league MVP, because he is just just an unbelievable guy to watch night in and night out. So really pleased with him. I think that you saw Jake DeBrusk get going a little bit. You hope that, you know, he can continue to play the right way and try to bury uh, some of his scoring chances. Um, I think defensively, no real surprises about the Bruins sending down Mason Lowry. You know, I think it's just... You know, getting the games that he got, that he got, I think were important. But I also think that, based on what you saw, he clearly needs a lot more seasoning. Um, I think that it's good that he could get ten games, but I also think, you know, you saw him struggle at times. And I think, you know, now he can, as I kind of talked about last week, with the ten games that he saw, he can now go back to the AHL and kind of apply what he's learned. So I think Grizzly coming back was important. You know, I think he just makes that, just solidifies that decor all the much more. Um, and, you know, goaltending. Goaltending has been great. I mean, I think a little bit of slippage from both guys, but I think that's to be expected with Swayman and Olmark. You know, I think it's just natural the way that they were starting the season, but I think this is a team that has rediscovered their groove um, after, you know, losing a couple games that I think have found, you know, rediscovered their game, like we talked about last week. And I think they're going to go through another stretch where they lose some games. They'll probably go through two or three. You know, I think we need to remember that this isn't last year's team. You know, the record looks really, really good, but I think it can be a little bit deceiving. Um, and I think you obviously just want the team to be playing the right way, but, you know, things happen. Losses happen. And really, I think in this league, it's a response league. You know, you'll hear all the time that, you know, in the Nesson broadcast that, you know, Jack and Brick talking about it being a second and third effort league that it's all about how many times can you get back up. And I think it's also a response league in the same way that, like, you can lose some games, but it's all about how you respond. Um, and I think the way that this team responded 
was playing the right way, you know, following their leader, and their leaders single-handedly won them a couple games. So you hope that with some more practice time, the team can kind of get back to where they were. You know, I think that that was one of the other issues with some of the lo- the losing is the Bruins didn't really get an opportunity to practice. So, you know, I think that practice time can be valuable. So the great news is Bruins have another off day tomorrow, um, and then they will welcome the Sabres to the Garden Thursday, and then they will play host to the Coyotes on Saturday afternoon. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on and talk about the uh, local football team that uh, just can't score points, which is really disheartening uh, from a, from a fan perspective. Um, you know, Patriots losing to the Chargers six to nothing on Sunday. Ramondre Stevenson left with a high ankle sprain. Uh, Bailey Zappi did start this game. In my opinion, actually, was was okay in this game. Um, I actually thought that you know played better than Mac Jones did against the Giants. It's not really saying a whole lot, but I did think that uh, Zappi was able to attempt more downfield throws um, and complete more downfield throws. You know, I think you look at some of those throws they would have liked to get completions on with you know Parker unable to stay in bounds on one of those throws, then Tyquan Thornton uh, dropping one of those throws that, you know, probably could have been a touchdown. Um, But I think the biggest thing, one of the things that I noticed, or a couple things that I noticed is not as many high-risk throws that you saw from Jones uh, in the Giants game. Um, And I also thought you saw better pocket presence. You know, Bailey Zappi is a little bit of elusiveness, and not that it's a huge difference, but, you know, you saw him run for first downs a couple times, and, you know, you haven't really seen Mac Jones do much of that. And I think for whatever reason, you know, Zappi is a little more confident in, you know, his pocket presence. And sure, did get sacked a couple times, but I think there were some improvements. And I know, look, this is a team that has scored 13 points. In the last three games, they've scored 30 points in the last four games. And it's, you know, it's terrible. Not going to sit here and tell you that it's not. um, Because it shouldn't be a goal for this offense to just move the ball a little bit. And, you know, you need to, like, you need to score touchdowns. And this is a team that has not scored a touchdown uh, since the Commanders game. And it's just... It's, I mean, it is really hard to watch. You know, I think for me personally, I'm a fan. I always will watch the games. Um, but I think this was the first time that, okay, you know, this is... I think at this point, a lot of us have just kind of accepted that this is what the team is. Um, and they're just a horrific offensive team. You know, sure, one of the worst offenses that you've seen in a long time. Um, but I think, you know, at this point, it's hard to expect that they're going to be anything more. And I know that that sounds, it doesn't really sound encouraging. Um, but I think you look at some of the guys that they've lost, you know, it's now been four weeks since they lost Kendrick Bourne. You know, if they lose Stevenson, who, you know, got hurt on Sunday to a high ankle sprain, if he's out for a couple games, you know, it really doesn't give this team an opportunity to really see what they can do offensively. And, you know, yeah, I think that starting Bailey Zappi, the Patriots really don't have any other options. And sure, if you want to make it into a referendum on the Patriots can't, you know, develop talent or whatnot, I'm probably not going to stop you. But, you know, I think that one of the other things that's disappointing and you know, kind of talked about this last week is how well the defense is played. And look, this is not a defense that's full of world beaters and, you know, that this is like an elite defense. That's not what I'm saying, because I think some of the offenses they've played recently aren't very good. But it's a group that I think has 
some talent there. And I think that's kind of the one area that makes me feel somewhat confident into the future that you have some guys on defense. You have some dudes. You have some guys that you really can count on to be big-time players. And, you know, you're playing without two of those dudes right now. And you've played without them for the majority of the season uh, with Judon and Gonzalez both going down in the same game. Um, And I think that's something that you can look at to say, okay, they have some guys on defense that we can count on, we can rely on. Now it's just, can we get some guys on offense? And I think the good news for this offseason is there's a lot of options. There's a lot of space in free agency. There's a very high probability that the Patriots are going to get a high draft pick, could get an opportunity to pick that next quarterback of the future, assuming that that's what the plan is. So I don't want to say that this could change overnight, but I think if you look at this offense and really kind of evaluate what you have, there's an opportunity that Patriots could upgrade at several positions and it could make a huge difference because you see in this league how quickly some teams can go from, you know, worst to first, or not worst to first, but can have a bad season but can bounce back. Now, I don't know if the Patriots can do that, but I think that they have an opportunity that, you know, okay, could you find a next quarterback? Could you find a next blindside tackle? You know, can you find a big-time receiver? And I think there's opportunities for the Patriots to add at all three of those spots this offseason. And I think for the rest of the season, it's just you got to get through it. And look, it's probably going to get worse, you know, with with the offense and with the performance. It's probably going to get worse. And so it's just, look, it's just this is what it's going to be. And I think in terms of the future of this team, you know, and I've talked about it quite a bit. I really don't want to be sitting here rehashing the same argument every single week, but I think letting go Bill Belichick would be a mistake. You know, I think that there's something about Kraft that I think is desperate to be liked. And I think certainly you could follow the logic that, okay, to please the media, he could fire Belichick. But at the same time, he chooses to fire Belichick he goes to another team. What happens if he wins his Super Bowl? Kraft's going to be looked at as the guy who fired the, the greatest coach of all time. So, you know, I think this is just my opinion that Kraft gives him another shot, that he looks at this season and says, okay, this is the first year that everything fell out. We were decently, I think, competitive the, the, you know, a couple years before. You know, 10 games they won two years ago. Eight games they won last year, a game away from the playoffs. And I think, you know, it could be that he gives them another shot. And I think he deserves it. I think he more than deserves it. Um, But I think it's just about finding that right group of players. Because I think the coaching staff, to be perfectly honest, is kind of doing the best they can with what they have. You know, I think offensively it's, you know, it's it's hard to expect, you know, Bill O'Brien and that offensive staff to come up with a game plan to score 20 points a game when you really don't have a lot offensively. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing, and I kind of mentioned this last week, is the Patriots have played four games in a row that have been decided by one score. You know, and you could even go back to the Bills and the Raiders game to include both of those games that are decided by one score. That's six of your last seven games. And each time, it seems like, other than the Bills game, the Patriots found some way to step on their, you know, to shoot themselves in the foot. And I think if these games are blowouts, then you have every right to say, okay, this team you know, really should be, you know, looking to blow the whole thing up. But if you're perform, you're playing in a lot of these close games, you know, that tells me that, okay, for all these people that say the roster sucks, 
and you know this and that you know how come all these games are close it's like you got to think that the coaching has something to do with these games being close and maybe it's more the defense but I just I look at all these games and think okay if they had a better combination of players there's a good chance that they win three or four of these games and think about how differently we would be talking about this team if they were five and seven they were five and seven sure there would be a lot of negative conversation as there always is but I think the conversation around the team would be different and so it's just like if you look at the scores you flip some of those scores they're in the playoff chase and so that's where I think firing Bill Belichick is just a reactionary move because of what your record is and you're not looking at the full context of some of these games and I just think firing Bill Belichick cleaning house it doesn't really do anything other than appeasing the people that don't want Bill Belichick to coach this team you know and don't like him for whatever reason but I just will tell you if you're a person that believes that they should tear it all down and really tear it all down, you know, this isn't a team that's going to be anything for like five to seven years. Like they're not going to, like they're going to be basement dwelling for five to seven years. It's like, if you think this is bad, it's going to get much, much worse. And I just think, I don't know, I'd rather stick with a coach that may give you the opportunity to, like, be a quality team in the next couple of years instead of, okay, let's clean house, let's hire all these new coaches. You know, there's no guarantee that it's going to work out. And I just think, like, you kind of know what you have and you can make some tweaks. And I think this is a team that could be on the right track, but the moves have to be you know, perfect. And I just, and who knows, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive here and not seeing the bigger picture, but I just don't see the value in, I don't see the merit in firing Bill Belichick and, you know, cleaning house entirely. Now, sure, is there a, is there a big amount of gray area between firing Bill Belichick and tearing it all down? I think there is. You know, you can install Mayo as the head coach and, you know, do all those things in the offseason that I said you might need to do. But, you know, I just, I just, I don't know. I have this feeling that, you know, Kraft is going to give Bill Belichick another opportunity and all these media folks are going to be very upset when Bill Belichick's not fired and they're all going to be wrong. Um, and... You know, like clockwork, you'll see all the uh, the articles about, you know, this is the biggest mistake Bob Kraft has ever made. I guarantee you that those articles would be coming out around training camp. You can guarantee it. Um, so, well, here we go. I said I wouldn't talk about, you know, the future with Bill Belichick, and I spent about 10 minutes on it. So, sorry about that. But, you know, this is a team with a short week. Um, in Pittsburgh, um, you know, Mitch Trubisky will be quarterback for the Steelers. So who knows how this goes? Um, but I think really for this team, it's getting through the rest of the season. You know, I hope that the, the team can get at least one more win the rest of the season. Just so the defense can have a reward for how hard they've been playing. And it just... It kills me to see those guys going out and playing so hard and the offense has nothing to show for it. It really sucks because you have a lot of guys that play really hard and I think deserve to get at least one more win uh, before the end of the season. So I don't think it comes this week because it's a short week, but you never know. Um, you know, I think then the next best opportunity for a win would be the last week of the season against the Jets. And you know, hopefully by that point, the Patriots will be guaranteed like a top three pick. And so whether they win or lose, the game won't matter. And so they, they hopefully go out for a win. I mean, I know that this team is going out coaching to try to win. 
and I think it's admirable, it's respectable. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think you're going to see another low-scoring game Thursday night, probably. Not many points. You know, I think actually both defenses are pretty good, so it's a chance we see, you know, maybe another 10-7 game, 13-10, something like that. But here's hoping the Patriots can find something, but I think they're really going to be limited, especially um, if Stevenson is going to be out. So we'll see how that goes. So we're going to move on, talk briefly about the Red Sox. No free agent news yet. Um, Shohei Otani, it seems like the Red Sox are uh, going to be out on him. So I think no surprises there, really. Um, but I think clearly big opportunity for this team to upgrade the pitching staff. I think, you know, Blake Snell would be a guy that would fit. Jordan Montgomery, I think, would fit as well. So <clears throat> with, the, I think, the winter meetings or GM meetings, one of those things started yesterday. So uh, pay attention to any MLB stuff as maybe there'll be trades or free agent signings. Um, but, yeah, we'll keep you updated on any, more, any new Red Sox signings um, in the next few weeks. So now we're going to talk uh, Revolution, and just briefly some notes. The Revolution, uh, I think, moving Thomas Shankalai, um into one of their designated player spots, uh, basically taking Gustavo Bo's spot. So the good news is Shankalai will be here for a couple of years, and I think it's great news because he was excellent. I thought in the games that he played in this year um, really gives them just a really good dynamic offensive player. So, you know, he'll be around. Gustavo Bo's contract was not picked up, so um, he will not be back for the Revolution. Really stinks. He was definitely uh, one of my favorite players for the Revs. And I think really, along with Carlos Heel, kind of, signified a change in the way the revolution operate with bringing in some designated players and just some great moments that he had with this team. Uh, I will never forget the, uh, I think one of the playoff, the playoff game, the revs played against Montreal a couple of years ago, scored the game winning goal. Um, a guy that I really enjoyed watching. So hopefully he can find a, a new home, whether it's in the MLS or somewhere else. Uh, Revolution also declining to pick up the contracts for uh, Justin Rennix, um, Ima, Ima Boateng, Maciel, and a couple defenders, I think, uh, Christian McCoon and Ben Sweat. But I think the Revolution will be excited about uh, Dylan Barrero's return next year. So looking forward to seeing what he can do. He suffered a ACL injury earlier last season, so hopefully he'll be ready to go by the start of the season. So Rev saying goodbye to a couple of guys. Um, and so, yeah, I'll keep you updated with any more moves the Revolution make before the start of the season, which will be in a few months. So now I'm going to take a look at some NFL notes before we take a look at the scores this week. Uh, Shaq Leonard is joining the Eagles on a one-year deal. Uh, the reports last night that Trevor Lawrence sprained his ankle per initial test. So hopefully it's nothing too serious with him. He went down um, in the second half yesterday. The Titans fired their special teams coordinator after a couple of punting miscues. Um, and Kenny Pickett just had surgery for a high ankle sprain. So will not play against the Patriots this week. Outside possibility he comes back before the end of the regular season. So we're going to look at some scores from this week. The Cowboys winning a shootout on Thursday Night Football over the Seahawks. 41-35. Dak Prescott, Geno Smith, three touchdowns each. Cowboys outlast the Seahawks and improve to nine and three with the win. Seahawks fall to six and six. An overtime game. 
in the early window on Sunday, the Colts beating the Titans 31-28. to Colts improved to 7-5. Gardner Minshew, two passing touchdowns for the Colts in the win. The Lions outlast the Saints 33-28 in New Orleans. Saints improve, or excuse me, Lions improved to 9-3 with the win. The Falcons beating the Jets on the road. Jets fall to 4-8, Falcons 6-6 with the win 13-8, the final score. The Cardinals uh, stunning the Steelers. 24-10 24-10 in Pittsburgh, Steelers dropping to 7-5, Cardinals improved to 3-10, significant because now the Patriots are in sole possession for that second pick in the draft, so that was kind of interesting, Kyler Murray, a touchdown pass, James Conner, two rushing touchdowns in this one as well. The Dolphins dominating the Commanders, 45-15, two with two touchdown passes, to Tyreek Hill, Devon A. Chain with two touchdowns rushing. Dolphins improve to 9-3. The Texans with a late interception to beat the Broncos. They improved to 22. Or they improved to 7-5 with a 22-17 win. Uh, Buccaneers beating the Panthers 21-18. Rams beating the Browns 36-19. Three touchdown passes for Stafford. Uh, 49ers dismantling the Eagles in Philadelphia Sunday afternoon. 49ers improve to 9-3. Eagles fall to 10-2. So makes things kind of interesting in the NFC. Uh, Brock Purdy, four touchdown passes in the win. And the Packers stunning the Chiefs in Green Bay. 27-19 Sunday night. Packers are now 6-6. Chiefs fall to 8-4. And then the Bengals with... A very entertaining win last night over the Jags in overtime, 34-31 the final. Bengals improved to 6-6. Six and six. So I think it's going to do, do it for the NFL. Go over to uh, the NBA in the in-season tournament. Last night, the Pelicans uh, beating the Kings 127-117, so they advance to the semifinals. And then the two quarterfinal games tonight, the Knicks and the Bucks at 7.30, and then the Suns and the Lakers at 10. Celtics will play the loser of the Knicks and the Bucks. Um, and then the winners, obviously, these two games will go to Vegas to play the other quarterfinal winners. Tyrese Halliburton with a triple-double triple double, uh, for the Pacers last night in the win over the Celtics, his first career uh, triple-double. And I think, yeah, actually the in-season tournament games, the only games on the schedule on TNT. I'll take a brief, quick look at the standings here. I actually realized I forgot to talk about the, talk about the NFL standings, so we'll go back to that in a second. Uh, Celtics first place in the East at 15-5. The Timberwolves, surprising first place team in the Western Conference at 15-4. and four. Um, Some other teams that I think gotten off to good starts, the Magic, one game out of first place in the East. They've been really good. Um, in the Western Conference, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, off to really good starts. So that's, that's it for NBA. We'll go back to the NFL. Wanted to touch on the uh, playoff standings at the moment. So AFC playoff standings. The Dolphins in first place at the moment with the tiebreaker over the Ravens based on winning percentage in conference games. So Dolphins first, Ravens second, Chiefs third, Jaguars fourth, and then the wild cards, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Indianapolis with Houston nipping at the Colts' heels right now. And Denver, Cincinnati, Buffalo, a full game back of that last playoff spot. The Eagles still remain number one in the NFC, but the 49ers and the Lions and the Cowboys now just one game behind. So Philadelphia, San Francisco, Detroit, and Atlanta leading the divisions. And then the wildcard team is Dallas, Minnesota, Green Bay, with the Rams and the Seahawks, even with a 6-6 six and six record. And then the Bucks and the Saints 
a game out of that last playoff spot at five and seven. So I think we'll move on to the NHL. Um, so recent report that the uh, NHL salary cap is likely to increase to 87.7 million, so it's a $4.2 million uh, raise, which uh, will be pretty significant. Um, so it may affect some teams' cap space, uh, like the Bruins. Um, so that seems to be very significant as the cap will grow to 87.7 million. It currently is at 83.5. Um, International Hockey has announced that they will mandate neck guards after the tragic death to Adam Johnson a couple weeks ago. Um, the Jets are signing Nino Niederreiter to a three-year $12 million extension. And couple ex another extension for uh, Canadians goaltender Sam Montembeau. He gets a three-year extension. And the Devils are expecting Dougie Hamilton to be out indefinitely after a torn pectoral, after a torn pectoral. So he had surgery for that. So he'll be out for pretty extended, extended period. Take a look at some games tonight on the NHL schedule. Uh, quite a bit, actually. Tuesday night. So we've got uh, 7 o'clock starts in Ottawa and Columbus. Rangers and the Senators. Kings and the Blue Jackets at 7.30. Detroit and Buffalo. San Jose and Islanders at 8.30. Nashville and Chicago at 9 o'clock. Anaheim and Colorado and Minnesota and Calgary and then New Jersey and Vancouver at 10 o'clock. So we'll get to some quick MLB notes. The Dodgers are expecting Mookie Betts will be their everyday second baseman next season. Edwin Diaz, the Mets uh, closer, expected to be fully healthy. For 2024 and though the big uh, free agents or trades or big kind of free agent players that are off the board um, yeah I wanted to try to take a look at the free agent tracker and just see if any other or any big time free agents were signed I don't think there's anything major. Oh, there was a trade Sunday. Uh, the Braves and the Mariners. Jared Kalenic going from the Mariners to the Braves. Uh, Nick Martinez and the Reds agreed to a deal over the weekend. Uh, Luis Severino and the Mets also agreeing as well. So that were just a couple of other free agent signings and trades. So keep an eye out because I think things will start to heat up soon. Uh, so last little bit before we let you guys go, it was announced uh, yesterday that uh, Bruins player development coach Jamie Langenrunner uh, was selected to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, and so I just wanted to say congratulations to him. Uh, U.S.-born player, played his college hockey, um, or excuse me, sorry, played his high school hockey um, in Minnesota, played primarily for the Devils and the Stars, over a 1,000 games in his career, 663 points. So I just wanted to say congratulations uh, to Jamie, quite an accomplishment. Um, also was a member of the 2010 uh, U.S. men's Olympic team, that got the silver medal in Vancouver, um, also participated in, or participated in two Olympic games in 2010 and 1998, participated in the World Juniors in 1994 and 1995, and was a two-time Stanley Cup champion 
once with the stars, once with the devils. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, be on the lookout for Guest Friday later this week. We'll be talking uh, all things college football, so really excited uh, to get into that. Um, so yeah, we will uh, talk to you then.